to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. I didn't get to share with you guys last week, and so I preached in the first service and thought you might enjoy uh, to hear a little bit of my antics uh, before we begin. And um, I was thinking when Pastor Gabe was doing the announcements, he talked about the seat back pocket um, is where we keep the cards, which is true. But that's something you hear a lot on an airplane. They want you to pick up the card in the seat back pocket. And so it made me think, uh, this is how my mind works, of a time I was traveling to Phoenix, Arizona. And the arm on the plane, the armrest, it just looked like it should go up to me. And so I'm on the flight headed towards Phoenix and I'm on the aisle seat and I'm, you know, trying to get this thing up and it just won't go up. And so about two hours into a four-hour flight, I'm just like, man, this armrest has got to come up. It's got to come up. I just know it comes up. And I rip the armrest off. (laughs) I rip the whole thing off. And I'm sitting there with an armrest in my hand going, oh boy, what do I do with this? I, I probably put it in the overhead bin. But I will say, I did not walk away from that event unscathed. Uh, because as I'm getting up to leave the plane, I snag my favorite shirt. Remember I talked about the horse shirts a couple years ago? I like to wear the horse shirts or whatever. Okay, so I, it was one of my horse shirts, and uh, it was like this nice iridescent blue, and I snagged it on that where I'd ripped the armrest off and ripped my entire shirt down the side and ha- had to walk through the airport uh, shirtless. That wasn't the first time that something like that has happened, by the way. I was in high school where you're trying to be cool and you're trying to, you know, impress everybody. And I'm walking through the mall and I see a piano store and I could not resist walking into this store. And I am walking through at that time. I wore the carpenter jeans with the little hook on the side. And I caught that hook on the side of a grand piano and ripped my entire pant leg off (laughs) in the mall (laughs) with these guys. And I'm trying to be cool and it's just not working. I'm not cool, but I'm fun. So that makes up for it. So anyway, that really doesn't have anything to do with anything other than if you don't know me, now you know that I'm kind of, you know, I'm what I am. I am who I am. So um, anyway, (laughs) um, you know, I want to turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Or actually, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10, verses 36 through 43. We're going to read a passage of scripture there. And um, I'll just read the passage of scripture, and then I want to share with you a little bit from my heart today. It says in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all, were who, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, talking about Jesus, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose From the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it was he 
that it is he who was ordained by God and to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets gave all the, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So this is that passage in Acts chapter 10. And the, the thing that kind of caught my attention, just a little side note here, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. A side note that I wrote in my notes this morning, we were, we were talking this morning, is uh, don't give up on your miracle. Because it doesn't say that he went about doing good at 12 o'clock on Monday only, or 6 o'clock on Friday. It says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. And it doesn't put him in a box of time and say when it happened or how it could happen. God can do a miracle in your life today. And that's what I want to talk about. Today I want to share with you a message that I have called Receive Your Miracle. Receive Your Miracle. So what is a miracle? Well, the textbook version or the textbook definition of a miracle is a surprising and welcome event. In other words, you didn't expect it. It's surprising. That is not explicable, so it's not easily explained by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be a work of divine mercy or of the work of a divine agency. Miracles are from God. According to the scriptures, Jesus traveled all over performing miracles, doing things that people did not, not expect in ways that could not be explained. Jesus is a miracle worker. Amen? Jesus is a miracle worker. He was a miracle worker, and he is a miracle worker even now. So I want to just give you some background information. Uh, many of us know this, but you may not know this. So a little background on this story the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are commonly referred to as the Gospels. It is in these four books that we have four accounts of the birth, life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels because they document the life of Jesus according to the different events. And many of these events are the same, but they're recorded through the, the eyes of the different writers, guided by the Holy Spirit, but they had a different worldview and different skills and abilities. John is written in a different style, but still John contains an account of the life and works of Jesus. The very next book, the book of Acts, is the account of how Christianity, through the work of the early church, spread throughout the world. That's what the book of Acts is about, really, is the establishment of the early church. And the gospel begins to spread throughout the world, and now we have the early church. And um, in Acts chapter 10, we find Peter having an encounter with God. Up until now, many of the Christians that were converting to Christianity were from the Jewish faith. They already served God, and they, but they began to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. But they were very exclusive. In fact, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. So the Jews who converted to Christianity did not really believe 
that the gospel was for everybody. You can see that in the scripture. They really didn't believe that it applied to everybody. In fact, it was unlawful for the Jewish man to keep company with or go with somebody of another nation. But Peter has an encounter with God during chapter 10, and God gives him a dream and shows him that the gospel is, in fact, for everybody, Jews and Gentiles, all men and women, nobody is excluded. The gospel applies to everybody. So Peter obeys God, and he travels to the house of Cornelius to share the gospel. And in this meeting, Peter reveals that God shows no partiality. That's according to verse 34. And he begins to tell them about the miraculous works of Jesus and how he came to save people from their sins. You know, the essence of this passage is not really about miracles per se, but it is about the inclusion of everyone in the work of Jesus Christ. However, Peter makes it a point to share with the people who are gathered that Jesus traveled all around, doing good, performing miracles, signs and wonders, and healing all that were oppressed. He makes it a point to put that in the passage. So I believe that everybody here today can receive a miracle. <clears throat> I believe that everybody can receive a miracle in this place today. Amen? In fact, you might have already received a miracle, and you don't even know it. Amen. So I'm going to explain. Let me explain. You see, the first observation that I want to make is that some miracles are instantaneous. They happen just like that. Some miracles are instantaneous. And if we go to Luke chapter 8, verse 43, beginning in verse 43, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. So some translations say an issue of blood. Came from behind, behind Jesus, and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped, or her issue of blood was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? When, when all had denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and say, who touched me? And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Wow, isn't that awesome? You imagine having that kind of power that Jesus perceived power flowing out of him. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling I said in the first service, kind of like I am right now, like I'm sort of nervous. Although I've eased up a little bit, which kind of works to my advantage and my disadvantage because I've eased up, but now I'm kind of getting goofy. So um, you actually probably heard a, a, a better delivered message in the first service. No, just kidding. But, uh, but she was trembling. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus, and he has this reputation for doing things working miracles and for, for changing people's lives and people are following him and everywhere he goes, a crowd gathers and, and she's like, uh-oh, what have I done? It's like, uh-oh. And she comes before him trembling. She falls down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason that she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She was healed 
immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Some miracles are instantaneous. When she touched him, she was healed. Right then, in that moment. Wow. Isn't that awesome? I believe that some miracles are instantaneous. You know, as a matter of fact, um, I, I, I was reminded, as I was preparing for the message, I was reminded of a story that my pastor, when I was growing up, he used to tell this. And oddly enough, I went to his uh, podcast and I was listening to him preach and he told the story and I thought, well, I'm gonna share it with you because it's an awesome story. And it comes from somebody that I trust and I know it's true. But he was working with an evangelist whose name is Reinhard Bonnke. Have you ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? He's an incredible international evangelist. Millions of people have been saved in his meeting, in his meetings. Tens of thousands of people have been healed in his meetings. And uh, he, you know, operates in the supernatural. But he was meeting with these pastors, and he said to the crowd, I'm going to ask the pastors on the stage to come forward and pray in the name of Jesus, be healed. So my pastor walked to the edge of the stage and he sees this woman coming towards him and he's thinking, oh no, because have you ever seen somebody with a blind eye and it's like white, it's like that milky white eye? And so he's looking at her going, okay, Lord, I'd rather maybe just go over here and pray for the woman that's got a cold, you know, and let this guy over here come over and pray for her. But he said he just walked up in faith and he said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he said he watched as she just kind of did one of these. And he watched in that white of her eye as it looked like a little pool of ink began to form and it swirled around. And God created a brand new eye right in front of him. And she screamed, I can see, I can see. And she was healed. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Awesome, instantaneous miracle. Some miracles are instantaneous. They happen just like that. But just as some miracles happen in a moment, in an instant, some miracles are a process. And if we go to John chapter nine, verses one through 11, it says, now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said these things, he spat on the ground. Okay, all right. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Okay. And he anointed the eyes. Okay, so here's what that means. He touched the eyes with this concoction. Anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, is, this, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus 
made clay and anointed my eyes. He touched my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Now, Jesus could have said, be healed. And he could have just touched him on the head or he could have not touched him at all. Or the man could have touched him like the woman did. But that's not how he did it. There was a process. He said, let me touch you and anoint you. And then you go in faith and believe that you're healed and follow the next set of instructions. And then you come back and testify. And so it was after the process that he went through. He was anointed and then he washed and then he returned and he could see. That's when he was able to testify and say, I can see, I have my sight. So you see, some miracles are a process and it takes time. It's kind of like today we have medicine and we have doctors and we have, you know, uh, advanced medicine and so many things they can do. And, and um, you say, well, you know, you, you know, if you really had faith, you wouldn't take your medicine or so. No, come on, man. No, it, because God created the doctors who created the medicine, who prescribed the medicine and all that works together. It's all a part of creation. It's all in him. And so that, that's a process that sometimes we walk through, but does God still gets the glory even if we follow a process and we come back and can testify that we're healed or whatever. Just like if you want uh, help with your finances, yes, I believe, because I've seen God do it in my life. I've, I've had people come up and, and we used to call it a Holy Ghost handshake and they just slip that hand out and there'd be a check in there or there'd be a, you know, a big, a large bill in there or something. I've been there. I've heard of even more ex extravagant stories than what I've experienced. But maybe God wants to give you financial wisdom before he lays finances on you. Maybe he wants to take you through a process before he gives you an instantaneous miracle in your finances. Amen? Some miracles are a process. You know, the greatest miracle, so this is my third point. The greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. And you say, well, that's an awfully bold point, you know, to just say, well, you know, some miracles are spontaneous, you know, some miracle are instantaneous, some miracles are a process. We can agree with that. But to say the greatest miracle is greater than all the others, you know, we've talked about some of the miracles Jesus performed while he was on the earth. And I believe that he is still performing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit today. He is a miracle working God. But I want to draw your attention to a different kind of miracle. And it happens in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. And, uh, okay. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said to him, he's talking to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, unless there's a supernatural birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. You know what that means? You don't understand it. You can't understand it with a natural mind. That's what that means. 
he said all that to say, uh, you know, don't, don't, do not marvel in what I've said to you that you must be born again. In other words, don't think about it. it it's not, you can't, you're not gonna comprehend it with your natural mind because it's a supernatural process. He said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Well, being saved, being born again is a supernatural miracle. But it's still a miracle. If we use the definition of a miracle that we, that we talked about earlier, then salvation through the process of being born again is a surprising event. When you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're kind of surprised. You don't understand that feeling. It's maybe something you haven't felt before. It's a surprising event, something we don't necessarily expect, but we welcome it, right? Because it feels good and you're kind of thinking, okay, you know, I'm under conviction, but I know there's this, it's almost like there's this tension building and, you know, and um, we welcome this experience because we know it's the right thing. But it is a supernatural experience that the third thing is it can't be explained. You can't measure it with a yardstick and you can't show it on a graph. It's a supernatural experience. It's a miracle. You may say, well, what makes, the, makes salvation greater than any other miracle? Wouldn't it be awesome to see a lame person walk, or in other words, somebody who can't walk, to see him walk? Yeah, absolutely. It would be incredible to see somebody come in today who couldn't walk, and they leave walking. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it be marvelous to see blind eyes opened or a deaf person's hearing restored? Yes, that would be incredible. But here's the reality, not to be cynical, because those of you that know me, I'm not typically the cynical type. I'm a pretty positive person, although I have my moments. But all of us are gonna die. If you receive a physical healing today, today, and I pray with all of my heart, that you do. I want you to receive a physical healing or to receive a financial miracle or to, uh, you know, for your family to be put back together again or something, you know, that only God can do. I want you to receive a miracle. But it may be 10 years or 20 years or, th or 50 years, but all of us will die a physical death at some point. We're gonna die. So the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation because when your soul is saved and you are free from sin, you are on your way to live eternally with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, forever. Amen? You're going to live with Him forever. And you're going to be in a glorified body and you're never, ever going to experience sickness or pain or tears or death again. So that's why I say with, with boldness and confidence, it's the greatest miracle is the salvation of your soul and the relationship that you enter into with Jesus Christ. So last week, um, I told the first service, I, I didn't get to share this with you, but I told them there would be a, that today would be a special day. And so I'm going to keep my promise, even though you didn't know that I would promised it, but I'm gonna, I promised it to the church that today would be a special day. I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a very personal story. It's a story about my mother. So I'm going to go off my notes for a little minute, for a minute here, which I kind of, you know, I kind of have a little bit anyway, but... Um, I'm going to go off the notes because I want to be real with you. I want you to hear from my heart. You know, um, my mom, back in 2002, uh, I had just 
start, I just completed actually my first year at Lee University and uh, was in Tennessee. So I moved from Cincinnati to Tennessee did, and to, um, you know, go through my first year at Lee. I came home and got a part-time job. And um, I would never, uh, you know, I don't want you, as I'm telling you this story, I don't want you to look at my mom in a bad light. It's, it's all going to work together and you're going to see what I'm talking about. But um, we were working that summer together. I was working where she worked and uh, just part-time. And she fell at work and broke her femur. And if you're in the medical profession, they tell me, I'm not a medical person, but if, if they tell me that when you break your femur, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. That's just not a bone that breaks because you, you fell generally. You know, she fell, it was, it was an awful fall. She broke her femur and now she lands in the hospital. They had to do emergency surgery and, um, you know, and then just started the, the chain of events that eventually became what ended her life. And, uh, you know, she got a major infection after this. It was a staph infection, and it took several months for that to clear up. And they had to go back in and do surgery. And then, um, you know, it, it was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was any person's nightmare. And, um, and she just kind of got worse and worse. And because she was sedentary, she gained a lot of weight, and she couldn't move around. And so it was kind of counterproductive to the healing of the bone. And it was just one thing after another for about seven years. So I moved home from Lee uh, matter of fact, I didn't graduate. I tell people, you know, some people get their bachelor's degree in four years, some people in five years. It took me about 14 years in three different schools, so I'm like extra qualified. Um, but, <laughs> but I actually took a break, and, I, and I, I graduated from Lee while I was working here. So, you know, I, I got to see that dream come true. But I um, went home, and uh, my brothers, you know, were both at home, and we, we started helping my dad take care of my mom. And we would take her around to the different appointments and things like that. So uh, it just kind of became our way of life, to be honest with you. We just took care of my mom. So on October 21st, nine years ago today, 2009, around 6 o'clock in the morning, my dad runs into my room, and he, he begins screaming for help. We ran in the other room, and uh, my mom had fallen between the nightstand and the bed, and... She died. She wasn't breathing. She died. She died a horrible death. It was awful. It was, it was painful for us to watch. It was, um, it was heartbreaking. She died nine years ago today. And um, that day she breathed her last breaths. She slipped off into eternity. We'd prayed for many years that she would receive a miracle, but her physical condition actually worsened through the years. So you may be thinking, well, how can you believe in miracles if God didn't heal your mom? Well, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because this was only the beginning of the story. Uh, my mom was born in Denver, Colorado, and she grew up in, in New York, Pennsylvania, and eventually moved to Ohio. And they moved to a little town called Hamilton, Ohio, where I was raised. And um, she was in the eighth grade. She got with the wrong crowd. And she started smoking cigarettes, and she just was not a great student. But, you know, along the way, some things sparked her interest. She got involved in the, in the band at school, and she uh, learned an instrument. And they kind of said, if you want to learn an instrument this late, you know, she was behind all the other kids. They said, well, we'll give you this instrument. It's kind of beat up old instrument. She, 
used to tell this story. She said they were kind of making fun of me because they gave me this beat up old instrument and told me I could take it and uh, learn to play. If, if I could learn to play, then they put me in. She worked her way up to first chair in the band, uh, learned how to play that horn, and she got a music scholarship to uh, get a four-year degree in music. Um, but nobody believed in her. Everybody said she couldn't do it. She wasn't smart enough. She couldn't do it. So instead of going to college on this scholarship, she um, got into drugs and uh, alcohol, and she began to live a very different life than what she could have lived, but she, she slipped off into that world. Matter of fact, um, and, you know, kind of crazy, but I'm not kidding. Uh, she lived in a little town called Oxford, Ohio. It was a college town. And she lived in the top apartment of a small building. And underneath her were a group of bikers. And they were dealing drugs. And they came up to her and they said, if you'll keep our drugs, uh, you can have anything you want. We'll let you use it use them. You know, you can use the drugs and just keep them for us. That way, if the cops come, they're going to bust us. Or they're not going to be able to bust us for the drugs because you'll have them. So they worked out this plan, and lo and behold, she got busted, <laughs> as you can imagine. And she went before the judge, and he said, you have two options. You can go to rehab, or you can go to jail. And um, she said, well, I guess I'll try rehab. So he sent her off to California. There was a Christian ranch in California. And they sent her off on a, on a van to go to California to work this ranch. And she was a ranch hand and worked through her re rehabilitation and so on and so forth. Now, when I was a kid, that story went a little differently. She said she lived in California. <laughs> and it was a great you know, time in her life. And she had a lot of fun. And, and um, she raised two calves and, you know, they, you know, these two cows. Actually, after she died, we found a picture of her with these cows on either side of her. And they were her babies. She raised them out there in California on the ranch. When I was older, she kind of told me the truth of what had happened, <laughs> why she was out there. But nonetheless, she, you know, got cleaned up. She moved home. She met my dad. They weren't serving the Lord, um, but they had... They began, you know, I was born, and then my brothers uh, came along not too long after that. And they just didn't have a really great life. They were kind of, um, uh, you know, I was telling the crowd last week, we, we lived in a, um, a trailer park that was, um, it was not great. I took Lindsay through it, actually, about a year ago, and she started to cry, and she said, you lived here? <laughs> and I said, yeah, most of my life. We used to get on our bikes, and we'd ride around here, and I used to do this here and this here. And uh, she said, you lived here? <laughs> she couldn't believe it. And she, she was crying. And I said, it's just what I knew. I mean, you know, I didn't know anything different. I told the crowd last week we had drug dealers on either side of us. And my mom always used to say that probably was a good thing because, um, you know, we weren't going to rat them out. So they were going to take care of us because we're right there. And they didn't want any, you know, police presence. So I, I, I said last week, that's probably not very sage advice. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that you put yourself in that situation to stay safe, but it worked for us. And uh, here I am. So, uh, you know, she just, that was the life we lived. We didn't know any differently. And um, one night in 1992, she looked at my dad and, and, and th there was just some financial problems and there were a lot of things that were going on. It was just not a good time. And we didn't have any heat and so on and so forth. And I'm not trying to tell you a sob story about my life, but I'm building up to a, a point. She um, told my dad that night, it was a Saturday night in 1992, and she said, 
you get me to a church tonight or I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to take the kids and we're out of here. And I kind of remember that going on because I was only in, I was in second grade. So I, I was, you know, old enough to kind of, I was one of those kids that tried to, you know, insert myself in the adult problems and stuff. So I just kind of understood a little bit of what was going on. But, um, you know, she said, you get us to a church tonight. And she didn't know anything about church. She didn't even know if that was possible. Maybe that's why she said it. But my dad knew a little bit, you know, through some family members, and he found a, a little Pentecostal church uh, that was running a revival. And they were having a revival service that night, and so we went to this service. And that night, in 1992, my mom walked down to the altar of this little church, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And she started a journey that turned into, it, it was actually amazing. She gave her life to Jesus and he began to do things in our family. We started attending a very large church in that area called the Princeton Pike Church of God. And I was telling, again, the folks last week, I mean, you're kind of getting all this the second time, but they, um, we walked into that church and I'm in like second, third grade and I'm going, yes, this is awesome. And, uh, you know, it was just like, I knew from like moment one, that, I, that God had called me into the ministry. And I didn't know anything about the ministry, which is so crazy about it. It's not like I knew what the ministry was, and I said, well, I think God's called me in the ministry. I didn't know, even know what that meant. And God began from a very early time to start to teach our family lessons of faith. And so we started working at, or going to that church, and we, um, at one time, we were all in the orchestra together. My mom pulled that old horn back out, and we began to play in the orchestra together, me and her and my other two brothers, we were there together. We were like the family band, part of that orchestra every week, in and out, uh, you know, year in, year out. We were a part of that. Uh, my mom was kind to everybody she met, and she made everybody feel like a somebody. She just had that way about her. She just had that way of just making everybody feel like they were somebody. She loved God. She loved her family. She loved people. She had a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've, you see the greatest miracle in Kathy Jump's life didn't happen while she was sick before, between 2002 and 2009. It wasn't a physical bodily miracle. The greatest miracle in her life happened on a normal, insignificant Saturday night in Hamilton, Ohio when she responded to the altar call and gave her life to Jesus Christ and walked into a process of healing. Amen? Amen. Boy, I don't know how I walked through that, you know, story without getting emotional. I'm trying really hard because today, again, it's the ninth anniversary of her death. But the thing that makes it so cool is now today she's in heaven. She's living in eternity with Jesus Christ. She's singing praises around the throne of God. And you know what I like to think about sometimes? She's walking down the streets of gold. Now, some people say that's a metaphor. I don't care what they say. I don't believe it. I believe there's streets of gold. I believe there's walls of jasper and a gate of pearl, and that, that it's just awesome. And she's there today. So that's the greatest miracle. That's why I say that. But I'm going to close, and I'm just going to, if they will, come play a little bit behind me. I believe there's two groups of people here today. I believe there's two groups of people here today. There, is a, there are people here this morning 
who need a miracle. Maybe it's a physical healing or it's a, something going on in your family or maybe you're having a problem with your spouse or you name it, financial miracle, whatever it is, there are people here today that need a miracle. And I believe Jesus can instantaneously heal your life. Amen. I also believe that he can put you on a process of healing and he can begin to heal you through a process. Maybe he, you know, sends you to the right doctor or he, you know, whatever it is, he may put you on a process. But if you, have, if you need a miracle in your life, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come. Can we stand together? And the prayer team just come up to the front here and just get ready for just a moment. Those people who need a miracle are gonna come. And I believe there's a second group of people here today. And, um, and that group of people may be you've never received Jesus Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I can tell you with assurance, you can begin that walk of faith today and have that relationship with Jesus and your life can change. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.